Welcome everyone to Awaken the Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Terry Wildeman, and this is a very special podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners to assist them in growing their business in the areas of resilience, leadership, communications, and intuition. My guest today, Alina Boyd, has so much to share with you, and I really hope that you listen her words and what she has to share because it's all about intellectual property. So let me share with you a little bit about this dynamic woman. Alina is an intellectual property law professor at Mississippi College School of Law and the owner of Alina Boyd. Am I saying that right, Boyd? Yes. Boyd, okay. LLC, a social enterprise committed to addressing poverty hunger, right up my alley, hunger and climate change through its business practices. The founder of the Heart-Centered Life and host of the Heart-Centered Life podcast, Alina attended the University of London, the University of Cambridge, and Stanford Law School. She graduated at the top of her law school class and is the recipient of highly competitive awards, including the Cambridge Commonwealth Scholarship, the Fulbright Scholarship, and the Lieberman Fellowship. Her book, Copyright Law and the Progress of Science and the Useful Arts, is available on Amazon. She is happily married to Donathan, who epitomizes heart-centered living, and they have a daughter, Juliet, who is the inspiration for the heart-centered life. And you can find out more about her at alinaboyd.com. Welcome to the show, Alina. And what you don't know is that my business, which is currently called Intuitive Leadership University, used to be called heart-centered success so oh my goodness that's exactly where you're coming from uh, very, well, very so there are reasons why you know the universe connects certain people together you know so right now there's a lot going on and some folks especially those who are very fear-based and there are certain behavior styles who lean towards that they, they, you know, everything is a reaction. Everything is fear and fear is forgetting everything is all right. So I'd love to hear from you that, you know, what is it that you're sharing with your clients that is so important in this day and age with all these challenges that are going on with this virus that is just controlling the entire world and the U.S. economy? Oh my goodness, Terry, that's, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are reactive, including myself sometimes. You know, so when we uh, first heard about the virus, initially there was well, nothing to be overly concerned about. It's, it's probably just something like the flu. Yeah. And, uh, we were in New Orleans just at the start of spring break, you know, and uh, New Orleans is basically a melting pot. Like everyone comes from all over the world, right in New Orleans, right, and everyone's close in close proximity. Yeah. I mean, you could have you could hardly move in New Orleans without you know bumping into someone because it's there's so many people. And uh, my husband felt sick there, yeah. and then I felt, and then I felt sick, and I I think I'm at the tail end of um, I I think it's a cough and a cold. Um, but it was it was very wor- worrisome for us because I was concerned, you know, uh, that what if what if really we did contract um, the virus? 
So I think a lot of people, and, and I was responding, I was responding out of fear, you know, we better go back, we better make an appointment to see the doctor, we better stock up on um, supplies, medical supplies and everything. And, and then we, when we come back from spring break and my university issues this notice about how they are canceling classes and then moving to online instruction. And uh, there was talk about, you know, lockdowns in several cities and Seattle, as you know, is like the epicenter of the uh, U.S. outbreak. Yeah. And, and it's, it's difficult not to react in times like this, you know. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's a normal human reaction to react to something that we are um, not accustomed to and that we're not used to. Well, you know, you really are right. Uh, my daughter is in the uh, Six County San Francisco area, so she's in lockdown. She and her fiance for three weeks. My other daughter is in San Diego, and she's a naval officer, and all travel. And she's in San Diego, and her fiance is here in Newport, Rhode Island, and all travel is stopped for all the military uh, yeah. until May 11th which happens to be her birthday. So, you know, but that, so they're not going to see each other. Uh, I have elderly parents in Miami. I just got back and they're 97 and 94. It's like, I don't even know when I'm going to be able to get back to them now. So yeah, it, it, it is very easy. I, I hear what you're saying. It is very easy. No matter how grounded you are, no matter how centered you are, it really is easy for in the moment to suddenly go to that place of, Oh crap. <laughs> it takes, takes that, it takes your breath away. And, but isn't it important to have the tools to keep you grounded? Because quite frankly, oh. as you and I both know, from a law of attraction perspective, needing that fear just makes things worse. It, it does. You know, I, I, I will say one thing about that fear and, um, a lot of that fear-based responses is is really uh, biologically and it's it's evolutionary evolutionarily if there's such a word uh, built into it right so so there are um psychologists that actually trait fear-based responses for our fathers when you know they are out hunting and they come face to face with a saber-toothed tiger they, they have to react quick and respond you know so i so it, it is it is a necessity. I mean, sometimes we need we need strong leaders who can look at look at information, accurate information, and then make quick decisions to protect um, the rest of it. So, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that fear-based responses is all is always um, uh, wrong. It's it's fear-based responses that are based on inaccurate information that. Yeah. So fear is um, not all. You're absolutely right. Not all fear is is wrong. It's what you do with that fear that exactly. makes a difference, and whether or not you allow it to control you or you control exactly. it. Exactly. And it makes it. But boy, that bird in the background is 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 trying to get a message to us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, I you know to to answer your question about well you know now we are in now that we've processed the fear you know, and it's kind of sunk in. How do we approach the situation that we are in, in the, from a more uh, a heartbreak, a heart-based, or a, uh, as you say, an awakened 
um, right approach. So I'm curious. Um, you are an intellectual property law professor. A lot of us are stuck in our houses. Yes. People are going to be writing. People are going to be creating new songs. People are going to be doing all kinds of perhaps crafts. It's creating a new world order where yes. we really are required. And, and frankly, I, I uh, as a law of attraction trainer, personally, I feel that this was a call from humanity for us to take a break and just stop. Yes. And that's what's happening. Families are coming together. Things are happening. It's a great time for people to write their books, for, to get their courses together. So from an intellectual property perspective, because this is a business show, and I know that you have a lot of really juicy uh, insights that you can give us to help us with our intellectual property, as well as our heart-centered living. How do the two of them combine? Or is there a combination? That, that definitely is. <laughs> so uh, I, I love that question, Terry. Uh, that question uh, really speaks to my heart. Uh, so I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, I mean, I spent my whole career thinking about creativity and intellectual property. Um, and, and, you know, the, the legal system in itself encourages creativity only to the extent that it, it tries to protect the commercial value right so you know the, the market you know putting the work out there and then oh here are the rights that we're going to give you such as the right to make exclusive reproduction the right to make exclusive distribution and those rights of course you can sell them you can assign them away but but essentially that's what the the legal system does right it protects those those rights but creativity actually you know, underlies the whole legal system. You know, everyone creates, you know, it's not just um, your Disney or your Marvel, you know, with your superhero movies, right? Every one of us creates. And, and we need to recognize that, that, that while people pay to watch Frozen 2 or, you know, the latest Disney movies, people need, right? People want that. But what people really need is creativity from the rest of us. You know, the the work that each one of us do has a massive impact on the people who come who who who, who, who uses those works. Yeah. You know, whether it's a book, whether it's and it doesn't even have to be a novel. You know, it can even it can just be an instruction guide that takes you from one point and trans trans transforms you and into into a different uh, position, you know, like, from, like, like, like the very question you asked me, you know, how do you move from a state of fear to a state of, you know, awakening or heart-centeredness? You know, even if, if you have a step-by-step -step guide that takes you through that transformation and that process, I mean, that is so beneficial to people, you know, and, and I think as an intellectual property lawyer, uh, my my thinking is that we need to move more away from the commercialization. I mean, that's an important part. I mean, obviously, right? And those rights and everything. And we also need to encourage these individual authentic forms of creativity. On, only you, Terry, can do what you do. I mean, there is no one else with the same um, footprint and experience and background. I mean, you are 
each one of us is as unique as it comes, right? And and I think the society has kind of a way of, of squashing <laughs> that individuality, you know, or, or making the individuality fit within a mold. And I think creativity is essential. It's 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 the most important thing thing that that awakens that authenticity or individuality and, and the world needs more of that. Well we really I, I agree with you. I do believe that I mean look at what's happening in our schools with our music programs and our art programs and uh, everything is so head based and um, and I think you'll you'll appreciate where I'm gonna go with this. So I, that what sunk the Titanic was not seen. So when you look at an iceberg, the top of the iceberg is our head brain. The bottom of the iceberg represents our heart brain. So when we connect both, we're in a very powerful place. Our heart brain and that part that's not seen, that creativity place that brings out so much. Um, why you, you tell me why do we as parents as grandparents as aunts and uncles and teachers squash the creativity in children because we are so uh focused on turning them into mini me's yeah. instead of mini them yes yes um you know terry i'm i'm a mom myself <laughs> We saw we saw your little one earlier. She's adorable. Yes, and uh, you know, and she really is her own person. I mean, she she is the inspiration for everything I do. I mean, the, the whole thing about the heart centered life is to make sure that we have a world that her and her friends and her grandchildren, you know, her children and grandchildren inherit. That's that's a lot more positive than the world we currently live in. So. Yeah, so she, I mean, she's her own person, but, you know, to be honest, sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of that too, you know, because of my own upbringing. I grew up in Malaysia, and then I, I came to school in the U.S. I met someone, I met Jonathan here. We got married, and we had Juliet. So I, I have a very Asian upbringing, <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, I don't know if you know the book, um, The Tiger Mom by Amy Chua. But, but she's, a, she's a law professor uh, at Yale, and she wrote this book about how Asian parenting is, uh, to her, you know, superior. You know, I, whether, and and it, that book has come under tremendous criticism and, and uh, critique, and, you know. But, but I grew up in that kind of environment where my parents are very strict, you know. And... Uh, I, I remember this incident where my, my daughter wanted to wear different colored socks to school. <laughs> like she, she just had to wear, you know, a, a colorful striped socks with polka dotted socks. And it's her, you know, but for me, I grew up wearing uniforms to school and the, the, the socks had to be white. And <laughs> I did too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and someone, told me this that that uh, made me change my whole perspective and, and she said this it was just the statement that really um, hit me at my core which is do not squash out the part of her that's going to suffer for the rest of her life you know that that 
that uh, the drivenness, that stubbornness, you know, and and I think it's 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 true that that a lot of us we try to squash out that individuality, you know, because it's it's easier, right? If she puts well, it, it, it is easier, um, but it's also. Do you believe? Um, and, and I'll share this story that complements what you're talking about. My uh, my middle daughter is just a full of vim and, vig and vigor and energy and on and on. She's the adventurer. She and her fiance go all over the place. I mean, it's nothing for them to jump in a car and drive seven hours and, and, and walk the mountains and hike and on and on and on. And as a child, uh, as, as a very little person, she would do things like she would wear a, a cat outfit that had on you know the little ears and the tail she was three years old and from the moment she woke up to the moment she went to bed she had those ears and that tail on and i remember people in the store saying to me you know what, what about that i go she's not going to walk down the aisle like that she'll be fine you know and people saying to me at the age of three why isn't she why is she still in the crib I said, she won't be sleeping in the crib when she gets married don't worry uh, or you know she was drink one of the things she loved is as i would put her in her crib and she, you know, and the smile on her face was yeah. just—I'm uh, like, don't worry, she'll she'll be fine. Yeah. And she loved having a bottle of water before she went to bed. It's okay. She's not going to walk down the aisle with a bottle in her mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I I think I I love that. Um, and my husband's like that, you know, he grew up in the US and he's like, he's like that. He's always saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Whereas I think, I think Asian um, uh, parents tend to be a little bit more uh, uh, disciplinarian. You know, and, and oh, trust me, I was raised just like you were. I come from Cuban parents. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So trust me, everything is <laughs> Right. And I was the adventurer. I'm like, my, yeah. I was like, I was the adventurer. Boy, was I always in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I think I think um, giving a child that opportunity to explore their personalities fully and let and let that develop fully, um, I I think it's it's really important to creativity. It is important. And, and Elena, I'd love to ask you this question. I can't. It's rolling in my brain, and I just have to ask. Say that you are writing a book about an Asian mother or an Asian parent, parenting the adventurous child. Yes. Okay. Uh, parenting the adventurous child. And from an intellectual property perspective, can you share a little, because this is really what, um, because we are a business show and we do integrate life and business together. What steps would you take as an intellectual property lawyer to protect the document that you are writing called raising you know being asian and raising an adventurous child or some whatever title you want to give it awesome question Terry. a great question um so if i were writing a book about raising an adventurous uh, child um, so i would be doing a lot of research you know i would be re reading into you know um uh child you know uh, you know books about raising children right I would be re reading books about child psychology. I would be reading books from, you know, pediatricians and all that. The first thing I would do is I would make sure that every 
everything that I use in my book is properly cited and attributed. So, you know, a lot of people who write, especially those who write books, um, they usually write for the recognition. You know, they, they want to be recognized as the expert in the field. So it's really important to always attribute, you know, and you want to start off a book, your book writing um, with the, on the right foot. So you don't want to plagiarize. So you always want to, you know, it's okay to take block quotes, but always attribute those quotes to the, to the um, author. So number one, I would take as many extensive notes as I would, I can, and I would have a process for documenting it. You know, this quote comes from this author, this book, this edition, this publisher, right? So that so that is all attributed. And then I would write my my expression, the way I write, the words that I choose, the way I place it in a sentence. That's all protected by copyright, and that's my own expression, and that's what copyright protects. What that means is no one can copy your expression. But again, someone can use that expression and then acknowledge you, attribute you for it. Um. You want your, you want your, the second thing I would say is you want your expression to be as authentic and uniquely you as possible. So that even though you use somebody else's work, no one can accuse you of plagiarizing because you know that's your own words, that's how you say it, you know, and, and people need to hear the, the real you. So regardless of what you use as a, as support or your, your references, uh, it doesn't matter as long as what comes across in the book is, is really you. People need to read the real you. That is so important and powerful. And I think people forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, writing a book as an Asian parent, writing a book about raising an adventurous child, of course, I would be drawing from different cultures as well. You know, I would say, you know, in, in Asia, this is how we are raised. In Cuba, you know, this is how uh, we are raised. But, but a lot of, um, you know, I watched this TED Talk once about how if um, Asian parents discipline their child in the U.S., it would be child abuse. <laughs> and, uh, and it's true in that there was a, I think it was a Malaysian minister who, bought, who brought his whole family on a, on a vacation to one to Sweden, I think, and you know, one of his child was acting up, and he was, uh, you know, trying to discipline the child, and he was arrested for child abuse in in Sweden. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, I would draw from all these different cultures, and of, of course, I would I would draw from Jonathan's own culture, mm -hmm. which is his firm, but he's also very. Um, giving you know he gives her a lot of space to explore which i think it's it's wonderful um you know and she takes after him in terms of she loves i mean there are a lot of trees in you know you know yeah and she loves climbing trees and he encourages her to he encourages her to you know so i would draw from all these different cultures and one thing i would say about drawing from different cultures is that um you know, you're drawing from the public domain, you know, you're drawing from a lot of bits and pieces that are essentially public information. So things that are in the public domain, that's not protected by copyright. So you don't, you don't even have to attribute it to anyone. And you know, how do you know, that, 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 that's a really great distinction there. How do you know that something is in the public domain and is not in the public domain? Yeah, so, um, 
So things that are basically traditional knowledge, you know, the um, stories that are told generation gener through generation orally, that's not protected because copyright only protects things that are fixed. You know, so something that is in a book, that's protected. But but things that are information that you know that are provided as through word of mouth or through stories through generation that is orally oral based, that's not that's not protected by copyright. So we know for a fact that that's part of the public domain. So this conversation, what you just told me about Cuba um, and the way um, uh, Cuban parents parent, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's public domain information because it's not fixed. Yeah. Argu arguably, uh, this recording would be fixed, you know, as a recording, but that information itself, you know, it's, is, um, is not part of the, the recording. And so what copyright law has is a very unique um, distinction between the idea and the expression. You know, so when I, when I talk to you just now about, you know, writing, you know, being authentic and being um, individual in, in, in your expression, the, the reason why I say that also is because, it, because the more individualized and authentic your your work is it becomes your expression that is protected by copyright whereas the the, the more vague your idea is you know and the, the, you're going for different sources and all that then that's just an idea and that's not protected it's part of the public domain okay. so so legally it's important for you to be authentic i think um, an individual but i also think there's a lot of um benefit to the rest of the world and to you as well if you are authentic and an individual in, in how you express yourself. One of the things you were talking about a little, uh, a little bit ago was about plagiarism. Plagiarism. Plagiarism, mm yes. -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that is a real issue. I mean, I, I'm a published author myself, mm -hmm. um, and I know, you know, I, I, that this is my book, The Enchanted Boardroom. This is my second solo book. Uh, I will never forget when uh, my first book was written in 1998 and it was called 1-800 Courtesy, Connecting with the Winning Telephone Image. Uh -huh. And I was on the phone with someone from a phone company. I'm not gonna say which one. And they, they were, I don't even remember what they, what they called me about, but they had my book in their hand. And one of the things that I wrote about is your phone greeting is like a handshake in person. And they were reading that part of my book out. And I heard her tell the person she was interacting with is we have to include that in our training program. And I sort of sat there and was like, here they are talking to me and the author on the phone, and they're not even realizing what they're doing because they, they, they didn't realize that I was listening to them which I, I, I just didn't, I was so confused with the whole thing. And I never brought that up to anybody uh, when it came to plagiarism. And I thought, are they even giving me credit for that? Uh, so if, so let's pretend that they did not give me credit for it uh, in the work that they're doing. What would I, as a business owner, what steps would I take to say, hey, they're plagiarizing, you know, is first of all, is that plagiarism? And secondly, what steps would I take if it was? So that's, that's I think that's a, a really good uh, question. Um, I think good practice 
would be to recognize you for that quote. So if, if I were them, I would I would put I would ask you first, is it okay? Um, <laughs> yes. They, they sh it's it's good practice. Um, and then if you said okay, I would make sure that I attributed you for that quote. Okay. Now on legally is that so plagiarism is taking somebody else's work and not um, not acknowledging them for it. So legally, whether you had a claim or not, that's an, a separate question because the law doesn't uh, protect, first thing, the law doesn't protect an idea. So it's easy for them to say, well, I just took an idea, right? Because it's, if you say the way your phone greeting is, is as good as your handshake, right? It's, it's a common idea. So it's, it's going to be very hard for you to make um, the, the claim that they stole your expression. You know, all they, they'll say, well, it's just an idea. So it's, it's going to be very hard for you to say that that's copyright infringement. And this happened, well, by the way, in, in, in like 19, oh God, uh, my book was written in 1990, it was like 2000, so it was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in, some, in some countries like Germany and France, you could possibly say that they've infringed your moral right, you know, because it, they didn't attribute that sentence to you. Uh, it's possible, but in the US, again, it's, it's hard because um, the, moral, the, the US doesn't protect moral rights on a broad basis. Okay. Well, thank you for that. It was just something that always bothered me, and I never spoke to a, a, a copyright or a, an intellectual property a lawyer uh, attorney about it. So, thank you for answering that question that has been in the back of my mind for 20 years. <laughs> You're welcome, Terry. That was my pleasure. I'm sorry. I think. Okay, I understand. I understand. So, um, Alina, I, we're getting to the end of our show, and I would love to ask you. What can businesses, in, in a very short amount of time here, what can businesses do to create more social impact, especially with what's going on today? And could you leave us with a, uh, your best idea when it comes to social impact for businesses? Yes. Be, be authentic about the social impact that you want to make because there are i mean with social media all we get is a lot of noise and the more authentic uh, an individual is and a, a business is about the impact that they want to make in the world around them uh the the better they break through to to the through that noise and reach the right people well, thank you, Alina, so much for being here today. It's an absolute pleasure to get to know you, to meet oh, you, your daughter. Thank the you. Show. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. And folks, you can reach out to Alina at Alina Boyd. That's B-O-Y-T-E dot com. Alina, A-L-I-N-A, Boyd, B-O-Y-T-E dot com. And I want to thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Terry. It was a lot of fun interacting with you about parenting is your we went all over the place from yeah. to intellectual property to culture to 
on and on and on. Lots of fun. So thank you again. And folks, Awaken the Possibilities listeners, I look forward to seeing you next time. To your success. Take care.